It's here, the first Ghostbusters interdimensional cross-rip t-shirt, featuring front art by Dapper Dan Shonen. Wear your support for the podcast with pride. Proceeds from sales will go to keeping the lights on and not to putting beer in our stomachs. Men's and women's styles are available. Visit GhostbustersHQ.net slash shop to buy yours today. I like that shirt, friend. Hey there, fellow conductors of the Metaphysical Examination, and welcome to the Crossword Week of April 23rd, 2018. We have a full, full show coming up. We're going to talk about Crossing Over Number 2 have some spoiler-filled discussion that's going to happen in the second half of the show. But in the first half of the show, we're going to talk about Bill Murray giving an interview to uh, Willie Geist. Some good audio there. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Jack White uh, on The Tonight Show and an 800 number. It's, it's a fun show. Get ready. Here we go. Stillplayingwithtoys.net presents The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad, the biggest podcast since 1909. Oh, News, interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters. Are you the key Here are your hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart. I think these people are completely nuts. Woo! I'm slept out, I'm Netflixed out. It's like, ugh, <laughs> oh, God. Like, I've resorted to YouTube just because YouTube is so so jarringly different and it's the content it offers from Netflix and all that that I can usually find something that'll hold my interest yeah that's well, how I found that um, that Dangerfield uh, interview oh yeah the actual interview that's it's on I think it's on one of the Caddyshack DVDs because I had seen it prior to watching uh, the futile and stupid gesture yeah um, I hadn't seen it but yeah uh, but uh, I was it was impressed yeah, I, I mean impressed. that the whole like everything in that that uh, Netflix movie is so spot like the feed the fingertips to the Wolverines, uh, the Wolverines. That yes. I mean, right down to uh, you know Tom Lennon's Michael O'Donoghue makeup and everything was just like spot. Yeah. It was it was spotless, but um, yeah, it was interesting doing that because my familiarity with the comic actors allowed me to now put names to faces that I'd seen a million times before. Oh, like right. That, that first yeah. sketch on SNL, I had no idea. He looked kind of familiar, but I didn't know who he was. Right, yeah. I didn't realize that that, that was uh, that was him. O'Donoghue. From yeah. O'Donoghue and all that. Um, and then what's his name? Um, uh, the British writer. I've seen him all over the place. Like oh, uh, like, O'Keefe. Yeah. Yeah, you watch, yeah. You watch any British stuff he's just all over the place oh there. yeah like well he's, and he's known, spinal tap he's in uh he's yeah, in spinal he's a, tap and he's yeah. a known personage and like i said i just did not realize that's what his linkage was to all this stuff so yeah i mean it's but, I, i've i cannot recommend it any more than we already have if you haven't watched feudal and stupid gesture oh, listen <laughs> You got this is a it. boring. This is a boring uh, cold opening that we're talking about this thing again. I know. Well, it's it's almost like you owe it to yourself. There, you can do a double feature now. You can do uh, Feudal and Stupid Gesture, Drunk, Stone, Brilliant, Dead, back to back. Back to back. Yeah. You get the full story. Um, but yeah, it's a good good year for documentaries too. I don't know where to find it, but everybody's talking about the Andre the Giant. Oh, it's on HBO. Oh yeah, it's it's oh, good. Oh, that It's good. It. And then the Gilda Radner one just uh, debuted at Tribeca this weekend. Uh, oh nice. I want to see that. And I don't. Ha- yeah, I don't have hobo. <laughs> hobo. 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 I have um, a cold. Hobo. <laughs> uh, um, well, f- funny enough, speaking of documentaries, we're going to talk about Bill Murray 
and that Bill Murray Experience uh, documentary uh, coming up in the, in the top news item here. And um, there's just, yeah, there's a lot of really good documentaries out, man. There's a lot of really bad ones, too, where you watch and you're like, ugh, I gotta turn this off. But I, well, I mean, the Netflix age may be the new golden age. I don't, I feel like documentaries are the. You know, because you worked on a couple. Yeah. You might be able to back me up on this, but it feels like documentaries are the one area of like Hollywood, like filmmaking. That's kind of a uh, a growth market. Like everything else is under weird budgetary siege due to shifts in the yeah. media and all this. Like you know, I was reading an article about why, what China's role is in movies, like how it works, and you know what role it plays and why and they give all these examples of recent movies and the fight for the 34 slots and all right, sort of like right. fascinating stuff but in the meantime it's like I was about to say yeah it's the Netflix era it's the golden age of documentaries and I was like actually even before Netflix came along IFC came along sure, sure. and AMC was doing them uh, like independent and I, lens and I yeah, turn on yeah, yeah. I turn uh, uh, Sundance has a channel I even so even before Netflix came along and now that Netflix is here Netflix all the streaming ones have their own branch of them because sure. I guess the reality TV stuff I mean it almost has to be backed by a huge marketing machine of a network giant trying to stay afloat to get you know those things into the zeitgeist and popular whereas if you try and make one on Netflix depending you know Ultimate Beastmasters and stuff like that kind of goes but the rest don't whereas if you make a documentary the the price point is roughly the same as making a reality yeah I think TV that's, that's show. exactly it it's it's fairly cheap to produce for, for the most part yeah. something like andre the giant is expensive because you're licensing yeah. wwe footage and you're paying can, for all these it can get high but it can be kept yeah, yeah. relatively low and all of them and because of that all of them do it like uh, i subscribe to shutter the horror Right, streaming yeah, channel, yeah. which is a good one to have, and frankly, it seems like one third of its stuff is uh, documentaries, either yeah. stuff they've paid to stream or have funded to have made. So there's these huge documentaries on, uh, you know, the, the the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise right, and right. Uh, the uh, the Jason um, uh, series and all that sort of thing, and. Uh, yeah, so I'm sitting here thinking, it's. Uh, I don't think there's an upper limit. It just, it just feel. And then when you think about it, you slip, you shift over to uh, the web. Uh, even places that don't have a streaming channel, like Vox and all that, are doing mini documentaries, left, right, and center. Like that's yeah. practically oh, yeah. all they are. To a lesser degree, BuzzFeed and all that, that what they do is little. Even even their little, you know, Americans try Irish food. You know the. <laughs> They're these tiny little docu entertainment things. Yeah, I mean that's the beauty of it. It's it's a small intimate story, you know, cuz like you were saying the the big studio movies are it's the Marvel films, the Star Wars films, yeah. the big franchise tent poles that they're going to pour millions upon millions of dollars into the marketing machine and the smaller more personal stories have kind of fallen by the wayside and that's where the docs have, have really I've really picked it up. I mean, and and it's it's fairly cheap. It's fairly accessible. Everybody's got the equipment. Yeah. Uh, if you look at Muppet Guys talking the Frank Oz documentary, that 
yeah. he 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 shot himself. He quite literally yeah. funded it himself and directed it himself, and and well, they're selling it for ten bucks through their own website. So yeah. it's, it's super it's nimble, right? Yeah. Like if you're trying to make a a, a a motion picture, like a genre motion motion picture, or even not a genre one, let's just say you're trying to make a drama or something like that. Yeah can't shoot it stop and start right it's not yeah. like you know well you can do guerrilla filmmaking don't get me wrong that's a whole other topic of discussion and i guess you can do them stop and start but the results aren't great like if you're gonna make a movie you got to get all these people together you got to do all this thing at the one time which means it's, you know it's got a burn rate going and it's it's intense and then it's it's got deadlines and it's done documentary can literally be one really uh, driven person and their desktop computer, right. and they can work on it for years. Yeah, it's before not a they crew of hundreds uh, working over a, a six-week span. Yeah, yeah. So, so you think about cool. it. You pay. You pay them. God, you know, two years worth of 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 uh, an income basically to just stay alive and keep going, and <laughs> they pump out a movie on the yeah. other end, right? Like it's just which, and it's it's tough. I mean, we we finished a, a documentary that had been going for five plus years, uh, and there were hours upon hours upon hours of footage, and our yeah. poor editor had to sit and sift through it and turn it into a movie uh, in time, you know, for the for the Cannes Film Festival, and it was yeah. just. It's it's good on one hand that we now have this digital tapeless media that you can just shoot until you're blue in the face, but at the same time, people are not too selective. It's it's, I don't know, it's interesting. It, it move it moves the the overhead thinking from the the Hitchcockian start of a film right. to the dump it on the poor editor uh, end of the film. It's it's turned it from we'll fix it into post uh, we'll fix it in post into uh, we'll just make the movie in post. You know, we'll just make the movie those, in post. But, so well, I mean, bringing it all around to Ghostbusters, uh, the Buenos, and cleaning up the town. Oh my god! Yeah, eight, what are eight we years, nine years, years, something like that. It's yeah. it's a while. But same thing. It's, it's just a, the two of them. Uh, just the they're two shooting of them. it themselves, and they're editing. Within the well, yeah, within Derek's the last three years, now, but, they picked yeah. up two people for music. Uh, a handful of people, one guy for graphics and and another guy for edit, and then you and a couple other people are uh, running support. Kind of chipping in, yeah. But even, it's not like you're working full time, it's stop and start, and uh, they stopped and start because of course they have a production company, that's what pays the, right. Right. the bills, gotta, keeps the lights on, is they go, go the cover. work, yeah. Yeah, but, it, but, but the, so I mean at the end of the day, well, I guess at the end of the day, it's harder to figure out what they cost to make because you can trade off a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. But the point is, is that, yeah, blood, sweat, and tears gives you a lot of flexibility. You know, it's not like, well, no. <laughs> it really does. It really does. If you're making a film, like a like a motion picture and all that, there come some hard points where you just have to go, this will not work, I have to walk away. Whereas with the documentary, you go, this will not work right now, I'm going to come back later. here in six months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or it turns into something so. like uh, uh, Icarus, where the guy was doing a documentary about juicing for uh, bicycle racing, and then all of a sudden he uncovers that he's in the middle of this Russian doping scandal. So it, it, it turns into <laughs> something totally different. But anyway, uh, welcome yeah. to Documentary Talk here on the Crossroad. <laughs> uh, talking shop about my former whatever life uh, profession. As poor Chris How are you Cosmo. feeling? I feel fine. I mean, it was allergies for me. It was like... God damn it. I got a one-two punch of, you know, we went home to visit my folks in Colorado, so it's uh, springtime there and everything is blooming. There's pollen in the air. And then I was like, great, I'll get home to California where it's humid and it'll clear out my system. No, no. Springtime for Boulder. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that was not the case. I got home right in time for the Santa Ana winds, and it was dust and pollen <laughs> and the same same shit different days. So, I apologize. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I may end up singing uh, quite often because I've got um, uh, <laughs> what's the that Drake song? Was it God helps, God calls, <laughs> God left a note? What the hell is it called? <laughs> Uh, God went to Degrassi. God, I don't know, I don't but know that's but yeah. but that that bit is just stuck in a loop. All right, well that's all right. We're gonna use that as a transition move. element here in between. I was like, we're gonna uh, move things. into the rest of the song, yeah. right, Brain? <laughs> bad things, <Nope>. bad <laughs> things that they wish. And they're, oh my God! Can't get it out. <sighs> stuck. Anyway. Just sing the Doug I'm going to sing random other things just hopefully to get it out. All right, do it. Do it, Doug. Um, all right, well, so uh, real quick, uh, I just want to give a good shout-out to our uh, Chicago friends, especially Chris O'Biddle, uh, who set us straight. Last week we were talking about a photo that Liver Steeler sent us with some uh, great uh, film paraphernalia that's at the Harry Carey restaurant uh, at the harbor there. And uh, it turns out, yes, that book that we were talking about, the bound volume with the No Ghost logo on it, is Harold Ramis's personal copy of the original script, which has all of his penciled in notes and all sorts of stuff. Um, and it all made sense to me after we recorded and we got that great photo from those guys uh, because uh, when I was working for Trevor Albert, it was a Harold Ramis staple that he would give uh, the producers, the writers, uh, some of the above the line people, a bound copy of a script uh, as as like a wrap gift. And so Trevor uh-huh. had like a Groundhog Day and a vacation and uh, all the scripts. That's kind of like it was up on the shelf. Like, look, we finished it. Here you go, guys. Uh, you know, in the same way that some people keep the the slates with the name of the production on it or something. Yeah. You know, that that kind of keepsake that they take with them. So I was kind of yeah. curious about that because when I went back to after we recorded, I went back to the photo and just enlarged a bit to look what was around it. And that's what it, all the other things are. These other leather bound yeah, Caddyshack scripts and, yeah. of Harold Ramis movies. The Caddyshack, like, I believe. Uh, yeah. yeah, the Caddyshack. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so thanks uh, Chris and, and gang for uh, setting us straight there. That's that's really cool. Mystery solved. We will still make a road trip and make it disappear. I have a you feeling. Know, we're, we're the worst thieves ever. <laughs> we absolutely <laughs> intend to do this absolutely thing. Absolutely not premeditated whatsoever. Should it ever happen? We'll, we're the first ones on they'll check on. Silver platters sent into internet space. Um, but uh, so yeah, so uh, very cool. Check that out on our, our uh, Twitter feed. Uh, it's it's been, a, it's been a fun uh, back and forth with those guys. Um, so, okay, we have uh, a lot of news items here, including Bill Murray conversation that we talked about uh, a little bit earlier. We are going to get into uh, IDW crossing over number two, spoiler-filled uh, discussion, conversation. So uh, that will happen in the second half of the show. So if you're trying to remain spoiler-free, if you haven't read the issue yet, uh, you are safe until you hear the musical interlude, which will happen in the middle of the show, and then uh, turn it off. Run. Shut it down. Run for the hills. And then yeah, come don't back. shut it off. Put your put your put your iPod down and run away screaming. <laughs> just or or don't even run away screaming. Just crumple to the floor screaming and see what everybody does. <laughs> Are you on the subway? Just stand yeah. up, hold your ears, and go no 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 no, and then run off. My God, what were they listening to before that breakdown? <laughs> it was this podcast. 
Uh, yeah. So uh, listen for that musical interlude. That's going to be your your clue to uh, to hop off the train here. But uh, all right. So let's hop into news because that's uh, pretty jam packed. And then I want to give us at least twenty minutes to talk about crossing over. So here we go with the news. Hey guys, Peter. I have some news from the world of Gozer. I got some pretty cool stuff cooking up over here. If you want to turn your head. Multiplanar curling and emanation. Now well, here's your next month's cover of GQ. Check out the aura on this sucker. Okay, Chris, let's uh, kick it off with the the Bill Murray conversation that I had alluded to uh, at the top uh-huh. of the show here. So uh, Bill Murray granted an elusive uh, it. Well, you'll hear it in the, the segment that I've kind of cut together here to play for you guys. But uh, Willie Geist, who's the Sunday sit down today show guy uh, and, and has been doing like the Sunday morning show for quite some time. Uh, he, I guess was at work and all of a sudden Bill Murray said, I want to do that Willie Geist show. And when Bill Murray says, I want to do that guy's show, you drop what you're doing and you let Bill Murray be on your show. Um, but what's great is what they've done is they've put it together as a podcast that is completely the, the conversation from start to finish 45 full minutes with Mr. William Murray. Um, and it's, it's pretty great. It's really, I mean, the, the majority of the top, I'd say like 20 or 30 minutes, is very uh, Wes Anderson centric because he's he's technically there to promote uh, Wes Anderson's new stop motion animation movie, um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty great. They talk about the infamous eight hundred number, why he doesn't have an agent, uh, s- some stuff that we've heard before, some new things in there. Uh, he does talk about Garfield uh, and why he signed up for those movies and. Um, <laughs> That's pretty good. We won't play that in the the segment here, but but check that out. It's it's a funny story about him thinking he was doing a different Coen Brothers movie. Uh, he does talk about the Bill Murray Experience documentary, which I I mentioned earlier in the show, and why he is not going to be a part of it. You'll hear that in the segment that I've cut here. Um, and then of course he talks about Ghostbusters, which you know happens with poor Bill all the time, no matter where he goes. But it's it's nice. I don't, know, Chris, have you had a chance to listen to it yet? Not in its entirety, no. So he's he's pretty positive about Ghostbusters, which I feel like is a rarity. You know, usually he kind of skirts it, uh, does a little bit of a, a dodge or a duck around uh, a Ghostbusters question with a joke and then moves on. But he's he's pretty positive about this the the whole experience, especially he's talking about the first movie, which he yeah. always is very fond of. And uh, so that that a, will I be have, in what I have I, a what theory I've put about here. it. Oh, what, what's what's your theory a, a, about why he's been so positive? And I I think it's very easy to to point to the, the correlation between the passing of Harold Ramis and his mm. change in tone about the movie. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I was thinking about this after um, the Harold Ramis bit I cut together where there was that interview explaining about the day he went to visit Harold before he passed, like the day yeah. they made up. And I think, I think to be honest, that's part of the making up with Harold. I think he just, you know what I mean? Like prior to that, it was, because you've brought up Ghostbusters <sighs> yeah. or Groundhog Day or whatever, it just kind of dug in about, you know, that he was fighting with this. He was fighting. You know, it was a chip on his shoulder. His. Yeah, you yeah. did get that sense where it was like, yeah, whatever, screw that guy. Yeah, but but now he not not only is he made up with Harold, I think he also sees that you know the kind of the legacy. You know, it's Harold's legacy. I I think I I don't I don't think we'll we'll ever hear him say a bad word, like a, an actual mean word about any part of Ghostbusters ever again. I think he's, yeah, you know what I mean? He's yeah. still Bill. I don't think he's going to turn into Dan Aykroyd, but I think from now on, he's just, he's happy to promote this thing that will live on 
beyond them. Like, he, I think he got a real yeah, sense. He knows. He knows that it's yeah. going to outlive him here. And and you can hear it in his voice, which you'll you'll hear in this clip in a second here, how sort of wistful he gets when he mentions Harold's name. You know, he, he mentions that he had some very uh, talented people working around him and, and calls that out. So um, I, it's... On one hand, it's great that Harold's getting all of this love uh, post-mortem. On the other hand, it's it's just I wish that the guy would have experienced it while he was still alive. You know, the uh, especially uh, and and this is late breaking news. It's not in our rundown here, but uh, Violet Ramis Steele posted uh, an article from the Chicago Tribune. I want to say, but I don't know if you saw that. It was Amy Heckerling's daughter who found out that she her her biological father was Harold Ramis. That Amy and Harold had an affair in 1985-ish, and uh, she, she was told by her father, you know, some years later, uh, by the way, your your dad is Harold Ramis. Uh, I, I am not your biological father. And and it was a secret that, I guess, Harold kept and Amy Heckerling kept and, and all of them kept until he passed away. And um, yeah. and it's, it's, on one hand, you understand why it happened, but on the other hand, you see, um, like Violet's response to it is I have a sister and I just found out I have a sister. I knew that yeah. there was a secret baby that my dad was hiding and we, we weren't quite sure who it was, but you know, now, now I know who it is and, and I can now make up for lost time with that person. So I don't know. It's, it, I, and it's not just Harold Ramis, you know, in death, everybody gets that sort of, uh, you get that that look back on this is your life uh, kind of thing, but uh, yeah, well, it, it just thinks that I it mean, doesn't happen while you're alive. Well, yeah. well, when when people pass, it's like well, nothing hurts them anymore. So a lot of stuff tends to come out at that point, just because. Sure, sure. But uh, <sighs> yeah, I, but I mean that's it's it's kind of amazing when you think about it that um, Harold Ramis's uh, this other daughter, man, her resume is. If you follow what I mean, oh, oh, absolutely the the comedic pedigree, and and she does say that she's she's gonna f- sort of tell her story through her stand up and maybe a screenplay or something. So it's yeah, it it does make sense. Um, but uh, and and I'm blanking because this is all spur of the moment. But her father is also, you know, her her I guess stepfather as it may be uh, is is somebody famous too, and I'm blanking on who it was at the moment, but. Um, so anyway, so I, I mean, that's a tangent that uh, kind of ran down. We're talking about Bill Murray. We're Neil. talking about Willie Geist. Sorry, Neil Israel. Neil Israel. That's right. That's right. Who's Who, also very much an 80s. Yeah. 80s icon, 80s uh, police yeah. academy and, um, you Bachelor know, party. Bachelor party. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Sorry. interesting. It's again, it's another tangent. This is what we do here on the podcast. You guys know this. <laughs> We're 200 episodes in, you know, that we go down these, these roads, but I mean, not, not without, without, you know, not getting too far into it and all that. I mean, I don't know about your family, but I find most every family somewhere has something like this. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Some sort of and, a, wait a minute that happened. Yeah. yeah well, television and, and television has always made us feel like hey, that's the family secret. And it kind of is. <laughs> and it was kind it's of a every secret, family because, secret. Of the, yeah. because at the time these things weren't really talked about openly, but now, now nobody really cares. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's different. And and I think the <laughs> Ghostbusters daughter book is going to bring that out because, uh, you know, when, when Harold first passed Violet's song, she did mention that he kind of disappeared from her life and she may, she made inferences or innuendo toward the fact that he may not have been the most faithful to his wife. And you know, it, 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 
there are those those sort of hints that we've gotten along the way, but um Anyway, I, I, I'm really anxious to read that book. It comes out June 5th, uh, Violet Ramis Steele's Ghostbusters yeah. Daughter. Uh, I'm kind of relieved after watching a, 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 a stupid and futile gesture. Man, I'm glad that the, he's got a little bit of dust on him. Do you know what I mean? Like a little bit, a little bit of, 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 yeah, he's of, human. of grime. He's human. He's human. He has flaws. How the hell did he go through you know that level of partying and cocaine and not trip up somewhere? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when they talk about Caddyshack Ugh. being this cocaine fueled romp, uh, you're like, well, but I always see Harold as this sort of clean cut. Well, he was kind of you know it was like '70s hipster, but you know, kind of a clean cut, stays out of the, keeps his nose out of terrible business kind of thing. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's you know it's interesting to hear that side of things. But um, all right. Anyways, Willie Geist, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna play you guys. This is about ten, twelve minutes of of the forty five minute show here um, that we've cut together. Uh, some some highlights of things that I think will be of interest. But please go check it out. It's on uh, the. You need to go to the Sunday sit down podcast with Willie Geist. You can hear the full thing. But here's here's some excerpts to tide you over until then. It is Bill Murray. Bill Murray, the great Bill Murray, the legendary actor, the elusive actor, the myth, the legend, the man who turns up at people's weddings and bachelor parties and slides into their wedding pictures and throws out random first pitches at ball games and throws old ladies into sand traps at golf tournaments. Bill Murray, Caddyshack, Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day. I could go on and on and on. So the way this worked is Bill doesn't have a publicist. So you call this number, he's got a pager, and if he wants to call you back, whoever you are, by the way, he will call you back. If he doesn't, he won't. His latest movie is with Wes Anderson, a guy he's worked with eight times. Wes Anderson has to page the guy. And if he wants to be in the movie, he'll call Wes back. He says he always does want to call Wes back. The latest one is called Isle of Dogs. It's one of those stop animation movies that Wes Anderson does so well, getting great reviews. And so Bill Murray, a couple of weeks ago, walked into the Today Show green room and said, hey, I want to do that Willie Geist show. And they said, oh, okay. Uh, we hadn't heard back from him. He's like, nah, yeah, I think I want to do that show. So literally Bill Murray summoned me to his hotel here in New York City. We got together. We sat down. The thrill of an interviewer's lifetime. So you famously have the 1-800 number that people call if they want to get in touch with you. Yeah. We know you always answer if it's Wes. What does it take to get you to call back somebody who leaves a message on that. What are you looking for to move? Well, you know, you want manners. You really do want you guys. There's got to be manners involved, you know, and, and just the way people talk is different, you know. You can tell right away when, mm, mm, no. It's like mail, you know, you can look at it. It used to be like there was mail and then there was mail. Right. And now they spent a lot of time disguising mail to make it look like it's mail when it's really just a solicitation, you know. And, you, a lot and you can get fooled every once in a while. And like, it got me. Yeah. It looked like it was a wedding invitation <laughs> and it was an opportunity to get a discount on pillows. Is there any consideration of getting a phone, getting a phone number where people can reach you? Well, you have to get a... If you have children, you end up having to be able to uh, send messages to your children. Right. They will not answer a phone call, That's but right. they will respond to messages. So you've got to be able to figure out how to send them a message. So you do have a phone? Yeah. But for kids only. Well, uh, people get on it, and well, kids and friends really. I mean, you're my favorite. You know, it's just you just. It's, isn't it fun to say, "Who gave you this number?" 
<laughs> I just love to see who gave you this number. Who gave you this number? I can't tell you that. Okay. I'll let you go. <laughs> which is a great California yeah, expression, amazing. which I love. Okay. I'm when you're on the phone with people and they really want to hang up on you. All right. I'll let you go. <laughs> it's, uh, California is good for something. And that alone is, it's like Woody Allen said, the, the, the only thing that California did was right turn on a red That's light. That's right. That's right. It was the greatest thing they ever did until this, I'll let you go, I think. <laughs> Has this always been your way of doing business, the phone number? Like when you were coming up in the business, were you more No, accessible? I used to have an agent. I had, I had yeah. Ovitz. I had Mike Ovitz. He was the greatest agent of all time. Yeah. He was spectacular. He, I mean, I mean <clears throat> my children's children will go to college and thanks to him, you know. But um, When did you decide he didn't need fun. it anymore? Well, he quit the business, of, and uh, then, then it got a little disheveled. Uh, it got a little disorganized, and I remember, remember they said, "Okay, I have a job. I was going to start a movie." And they said, "Yeah, it starts uh, next week." I mean, great, you know, in Calgary. I mean, Calgary, Calgary. We we were making this movie in Southern California. I thought, you know, Calgary. Calgary's a long ways away. Yeah. I love Calgary. Nice place. Pretty. And the Stampede, Stampede is awesome. You ever go to the Stampede? Into the Stampede. That's cool. Yeah. One of the few things that's under underrated. My it's people, really, my family's from up there. We've done the Stampede. Yeah, that's yeah. really good. But commuting with with kids when you gotta go back and forth to Calgary is really bad. It was really hard. So that's the kind of thing that happened two two times. And the second time it was like, and then uh, a movie that was going to be made in New York, oh, they said, and the same thing, like, f we're starting in four days in Toronto. I'm like, what? You're, you're telling me I'm going to have to go through customs 75 times or 76 <laughs> times? I got to go through customs 76 <laughs> times to go to, to go to work on this job? I said, I'm not done. So that's when it oh, Four days up. before, you said. It was like yeah. that. It was like, yeah. what? They, they they got a little disorganized. So at that point, you realized, that was let one. me run this myself? Yeah. And yeah. <coughs> they also have, <coughs> pardon me, I don't know where I'm going, but it's all the pollen coming down with the snow. <coughs> and they have people in those, that business where it'll be like, get me Willie Geist. And so someone calls Willie Geist. Right. And the phone, and they have no other uh, thing to do until Willie Geist picks up the phone. So the phone will ring. 150 times. Right. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, just ring for minutes. And you're going to go, well, they're going to hang up sometime. And finally, you just pick it up and say, who is this? Oh, hi. Are you, are you, is, is he in for Dennis? You know, whatever the hell they say. I say, no, and not going to be. You know, it's infuriating. It's my house, you know. And you say, I'll let you go. <clears throat> I'll let you go. You know, that was before <laughs> I'll let you go. I had other words then. Are you aware, Bill, of the mythology that surrounds you, that there are websites about your exploits showing yeah. up at bachelor parties? There's a documentary coming out trying to verify know, all the stories about you. Yeah, and they want me to be in it. I'm like, I don't, <laughs> what? A documentary about myself? I think I'll wait till after I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> But, but do you realize that there's a Bill Murray thing that he <clears> might <throat> he might turn up at your wedding and do a picture? Right, with and you? I get a lot of wedding invitations. But yeah, it's you know I'm, I don't know what to make of it. It's I'm not there's no plan there. I don't have this. It wasn't my plan. 
you know, it's kind of, kind of, it feels kind of nice, you know, you know, people like like you, whatever. But, um, you know, I'm just there's no plan, you know, there's not a plan, and I can't because this exists, this kind of thing exists now. I can't like, okay, well, I've got. I've got to work on my mythology stuff this afternoon. You know, it's like, you know, you can't, you can't like, oh, Jesus, what am I doing about my myth, Han? What am I doing about the myth today? It's not like that, you know, it's just... Um, but what's the... But What goes through your mind? Let's say there's a couple taking wedding pictures in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm. You see him over there. You could keep walking, nobody would notice you. When you drop in on those photos, what are you thinking? Well... That kind of a thing is like you just look and you go, oh my God, there's two people that are in love, really mm-hmm. in love, you know. And so, and there's a difference. There's people that are getting married, and there's people that are in love. Those people were in love, and it's it's extraordinary just to get in the space of them, you know, in the into the thing of it. And I wasn't thinking. I was, oh, let me just jump into your let me let me photobomb your your wedding your 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 engagement <laughs> pictures. I was like, God, look at you, look at you. They were just a lit. They were lit. And I knew the people in the house, in the house too, and they, <laughs> they told me, they're like, oh, God, there's people taking their picture on our porch, on our steps again. And who is it? Oh, it's Bill. You know? <laughs> they were going to kick him off the porch, I think. Um, but that's got to feel good to be the guy who, it, when it, he shows up. It's kind of fun. It's exciting it, and fun. happy. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to just drop in and, you know, that I always, I've, I've read this thing once that like in Tibet, like when someone's in love, they make them wear a bell hmm. so that people don't, because people can, will fall in love with people that are in love and it's dangerous, you know, kind of dangerous. So they make them wear a bell so they don't, okay, DEFCON 4, one of this person. You know. <laughs> but it's fun to drop in um, like that and... But the same, you know, but you don't want it to, like to change the event, you know, you don't want it to change it and like, oh, you don't want it to be about you. It's just, it's just sort of fun to jump on those things every once in a while. And But that is their story forever. Yeah. If you show up at a bachelor party, Bill Murray yeah, was there. That sort of stuff happens, but, you know, and it's not, it's just sort of being free enough to say, this is, this looks, this looks funny. You know, bachelor parties are funny, you know, and sometimes the bachelor party, assaults you kind of thing but they're they're funny because there's someone who's going you know it's not exactly the you know the the guillotine you know but that but one of us is going to get his head cut off tomorrow you know and one of us is gonna be, <laughs> one of us is going to is on the block you know and that's and it's going to be different tomorrow his life's going to change completely tomorrow you know it's like a day you have a child your life changes completely right. and forever yep. you know you rolled out of SNL into one of the most incredible movie runs of Meatballs, Caddyshack, Stripes, going into Ghostbusters a couple of years after that. Tootsie. Tootsie, of course, Tootsie. I mean, you were hitting home run after yeah. home run after home run. There were no weak links in that chain. Mm-hmm. What did that do to your life, especially once Ghostbusters became this international phenomenon? Well, it was fun. I mean, being a Ghostbuster is a great job. It's just a great job. We, we own the city. It was like... We could you in that uniform with that car, you could do anything. <laughs> people actually believed we were some sort of special unit. I mean, really, I'm not kidding. There were people who thought, "Geez, these guys are pretty official." <laughs> I mean, you walk in. We were walking to stores on Fifth Avenue with all the, all the, the the guns and everything, and people like, 
everything all right in here? You know, we're just checking things out and, you know, picking things up and saying, we better take a look at this. We'll take this, we'll get this back to you. And we just walk out with things. You know, we bring it back like an hour later. And like, what? But it was, it was a great, um, there was a great run of movies. I had some great luck. I made some, you know, you know, I had great people helping me. I got, uh, you know, Harold Ramis, you know, on Meatballs and Stripes. And, you know, John Candy. Mm -hmm. And Ivan Reitman directed a couple of those movies and used to give him a really hard time. But he basically, you know, he kept getting better at the movies and we kept getting better. And Aykroyd. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean the Ghostbusters, that was mm -hmm. his, you know. He created that thing and... I mean, I remember he sent me like 17 pages, and I said, "We're in." I, I said, "This is great. We're, we're in." We had a caterer in about 20 minutes. That movie was banked, and he said, "Where?" He was really nice to me too. He, he said, "Where should we take it?" I said, "Well, I don't know. I'm trying to get this movie, The Razor's Edge, made over at Columbia, and they won't do it." And he said, "Tell them they can have this one." Mm. So Razor's Edge was the, had a caterer in 30 wow. minutes. Yeah. So that was that was nice. But that was a great run of movies, and I've, I'm really, I like my movies. Uh, I've, I've been very, you know, lucky with movies, and it's, it's, it's saying no is the key thing. You've got to mm -hmm. say no to certain movies. There's some movies, even though you know it's going to be a successful movie, you, you know, you, 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 you could let someone else take it. But I've had good luck with movies. I'm really proud of my movies. Well, you I like them. You said no for a while, and then people view Groundhog Day as kind of like a comeback in some way for you. Did it feel that way to you or no? You know, I, I never felt like comeback. There's a funny thing. We're doing this music show now with yeah. these guys, and somehow I never bothered to write. Like, everyone has their biography and the thing, and I read mine, and God, it was, the word they used was so after a dull period. Oh, it was no. like it was a crazy thing. It was like, and I go to like my guys go, did you write this? You know, no, we didn't. I don't know. It was like a dull, listless life, listless <laughs> careers. That it was like what? I never. I mean, I, I never thought of anything as like a comeback. It's like, you know, but I always, I felt like I was always making fine choices. I mean, sometimes life occurs. You know, and you do yeah. things like you know have some children yeah. and do things. You don't always have to go to work. Um. But Lost in Translation was definitely something different for you, dramatically. Yeah, that was different, and that was a, that was a you know, that, that sort of represented a change of, of, of life, you know, in a way. You know, all of a sudden I was like a, like a like, you know, I was no longer an ingenue, you know. It's right. Like, okay, now you're this guy. You know, that's what that was, and, and, it, that, and that was a different kind of thing, so, but it was the same process of working. You know, I was very fortunate that, Sophia asked me to be in the movie, you know. I mean, a lot of people would kill to be in that movie, you know. Were you surprised she asked you? Because it was an unconventional pick. They saw you one way. The public saw you one way and not this way well, until they actually saw I you on the screen. Well, I knew I could do that. I mean, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, there's something romantic to do. And I was actually thinking about it. Not that I... I said, there's something I could do that I haven't seen, you know, that that's a piece of life that just doesn't get shown, you know. And uh, she called up with this thing, and it was a very elegant, very spare script. And I went, cool. She said, well, what do you think? I said, well, well okay, I'll do it. And then they were all over there in Tokyo, and they didn't think I was coming. You know, I just <laughs> showed up. <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's a beautiful, you know, it's, it's really, she's a really good filmmaker. She gets better and better, and she's a delightful person, too. 
So you think Hollywood looked at you differently after that? You were nominated for the Oscar. They saw you as a funny guy, and now you went, "Wait a minute." Probably, yeah. you know. But that's dull, you know. That's you know. There, it's like, you know, if you can bake a cake, do you think you could make a pie? Probably, <laughs> you know. You know, it's it's the same process of acting. You know, it's if you can do comedy, you can do drama. It's not always going the other way, but if you can do comedy, you can do drama. Because comedy's hard. Comedy's harder. So tell it's, me, you know, I can make you cry. I can make you cry in a second, yeah. right? Punch in the nose. But to make you laugh, <laughs> that's hard. You know, that's hard to do. That's it's not true. so easy. So that's a skill set. You gotta. You have to have great teachers. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the great Bill Murray. My thanks to Bill for spending so much time sitting down with us. Doesn't do a ton of interviews. I'm so glad he strolled into the Today Show green room and requested one with me. That's one I will always grant. For more of our Sunday sit-downs, be sure to click subscribe. And don't forget to check out Sunday Today every Sunday on NBC. I'm Willie Geis. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Okay, so yes, definitely go check out the rest of that uh, interview. You heard where to find it uh, in that little bug at the end. Um, but uh, yeah, okay, so let's move on. Let's talk about uh, some historical stuff here as well. Uh, I found this thing on GB Fans uh, that was posted. It, it's actually been up there for a little bit, but I, I I only frequent, I sort of lurk the boards once a week now, and I, I didn't see this until just a, a couple days ago, but an aspiring cinematographer happened to stop by the set of the original Ghostbusters in 1983. He was 17 years old at the time, and it was a far different era. There was not set security that said, who are you, kid? Get out of here. Uh, there were uh, they were a little more welcoming toward a youngster who wanted to uh, you know, be a, a shooter on films. And uh, he tells this really great story. You got to go check it out on GB fans. We'll make sure that we post it in the show notes uh, and on our social media. But, you know, he showed up to filming at the New York Public Library and uh, happened to be in the background during the filming of Egon's uh, big introduction at the beginning of the movie. And then he tells the story that he saw the movie uh, in theaters and he wasn't there. And he goes, what's the deal? I know I was right there. And uh, I guess they reshot the scene, which was new to me. That uh, that Which was part is, of a reshoot, and that was one of the earliest. Like that was one of the first shots, if I recall correctly. Right, right, and and they even did the ADR to replace Ray's uh, sponges vibrated or migrated a foot and a half. Like that all got replaced in post too. So I wonder when and how that was reshot and for what purposes. But um, <coughs> so that's that was something I, I never knew. And then he also talks about Bur- Bill Murray. <laughs> Uh, he asked Murray for an autograph and went, uh, he, he went for the low hanging fruit of like, Oh, would you sign this for my roommate? And Bill Murray called him out on his bullshit and was like, uh, it's the old roommate thing. And he called Ackroyd <laughs> over and Ramus and he's like, oh, this guy's looking for an autograph for his roommate. <laughs> Just razzed him the entire time about it. But, uh, so yeah, check, check it out. It's a very great, well-written first person uh, perspective, uh, a newcomer to the GB fans boards, you know, somebody who decided to tell their story, which is, is always fun. Um, I was going to ask, uh, cause you sent me the, the, the rundown and about that same time, uh, somebody was writing on my page about somebody that posted one of the stunt women. Oh. Uh, I don't know if you saw that or no, not. No, I didn't see that one Fr- from the Adrian? new movie or... No, from the original, from ah. Adrian King. She's in, um, uh, what's the one with, uh, Crystal Lake? Help me out here. Uh, head full of. 
Boogers. Um, Crystal Jason. Lake, you're talking you're Friday the with 13th. Jason. Friday the 13th, thank It's you. funny, I thought you said Crystal Light, and I was like, the thing with Crystal, Crystal Light. Light. Uh. No, she, she's, uh, she was, um, I, I think she was an actress uh, in, if I recall correctly, in Friday the 13th, uh, the first couple. And anyways, she runs both a... Uh, a fan site for Friday the 13th and then she has her own and she cross posts and that's what they sent to me which was so she had a little joke about because in Friday the 13th somebody's wandering around uh, yelling after Bill like she's running around looking yelling after Bill and then yeah. finds Bill dead and screams well somebody made a cute one with her yelling for Bill and it's Bill Murray and she screams <laughs> anyway. anyway so she cross posted that with uh, it says here a little known trivia fact I was hired onto Ghostbusters as a stunt woman for two weeks this was after Friday the 13th 1 and 2 I needed to make dollars for uh, Screen Actors Guild in order to make uh, keep my health insurance alive and I wasn't oh. interested in on camera work for obvious reasons my dear friend uh, Tony Farentino introduced me to Cliff uh, Cudney who was the stunt coordinator on the movie he asked if I'd done any stunt work before and I remember answering not officially but I did all my own stunts for Friday the 13th and he laughed and said you're hired you survived <laughs> Friday the 13th you're officially a stunt woman in my book and she says and I made more money from Ghostbusters than all my Friday the 13th residuals combined cheers God. where does she say where she showed up is she like at the no. Bottom of Central Park West or something exactly. during that sequence. Or? This is what I'm trying to trying to figure out, right? Because that like, would be my guess is she's one of the you know the boulders falling from the sky, the earth opening up, and everybody falling into the the pit. Maybe that yeah. that's probably where she would pop up, and it was probably one day of shooting or two days of shooting. Uh, yeah, but, exactly. Huh? Or two weeks because. Well, did so? Did she direct message you or something? We should see if no, we can no, get no. On the this show was right? oh, okay. uh, a reader, Josh. Oh, okay. Somebody it over gotcha, to me. gotcha. But she, I mean, she's on Facebook. I can. Let me yeah. See. All right. Let's did try to, Let's find out about her one or two days of shooting where she made a ton of money and, <laughs> and uh, what she did. Awesome, so we can awesome. Spot her. It's a whole bunch of people. Awesome, awesome. Oh, there we are. Any particular scenes of interest? Understandably, we will not see your face, but it would still be fun to be able to point you out. Right. I was in all the Stay Puff scenes, Columbus oh. Circle and Central Park West. Oh, there as you well go. Okay. As the, yeah, as well as the downtown scene shot in Soho, Tribeca. When the Ecto-1 car first drives out of the firehouse, oh. I jumped out of the way, and there was a scene on jumping out of the way again. Lots of slime, marshmallows slipping and sliding. It was so much fun, and I got to hang out with Bill and Dan and Harold and Ernie throughout the two weeks. Columbus Circle shows she's she's probably running away from Stay Puffed as he first shows up. Yeah, one of those car crash panic uh, yeah, scenes. Yeah, jumping over the hoods of the cars, that kind of thing. She talks about the, so at the end with uh, the goopy marshmallow, she's sliding all over the place. Right, yeah, that's, that's a big crowd scene as well. That makes a lot of sense. And then she says at the firehouse... She jumps out of the Jumping way of the car. Jumping out of the way of the car when it first pops. So that must be at the top of the cleaning up the town sequence. I think so, yeah. I don't remember seeing people. I'll have to go back and watch now. I don't remember seeing people outside because it's, it's nighttime and, huh. I don't know. but uh, And she says that they did it again. There was another time where she had like one of those around the, so maybe one of those, again, montage shots where it's screening around the corner. She, yeah. But, uh. It wouldn't yeah, be the built, it wouldn't be the Sedgwick when they pop up there because that was here in LA huh interesting well yeah let's I will try to get her on the show that would be fun I again it's another one of those I was there uh segments that you and I keep talking about we want to do that that yeah I was in the crowd on Columbus Circle while everybody was running away from nothing 
there was nothing in the background. We had no <laughs> idea what the monster was going to look like. Uh, yeah, that's that's going to be a fun one. But um, well, hey, uh, speaking of behind the scenes, that that's a good segue into this uh, Steve Johnson article that was on. Uh, we got this covered, which Mr. Johnson always uh, does not mince words. He's, he's no. one of those people who is very frank about anything and everything, Yeah. which for better or for worse, we do get the true story, but we also, we do get the true story and you kind of go, oh, that sounds like it sucked. I'm sorry, yeah. man. <laughs> um, but this, he's, an this intense, is, he's an intense fellow from what I, from what I've heard of interviews and stuff like that. He's but a talented guy. I mean, yep. and, and uh, speaking of the boy knows cleaning up the town, he's, he's one of the people that sort of floats to the top and, and tells you all of the stories about things. And, uh, and I'm not entirely sure what's going to be in the cut, so I don't want to speak out of school, but you know, there are some great stories that he tells where it's like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was a 19-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid, and they told me to prove myself and build a zombie taxi driver. And all right, sure, <laughs> fine, I'll do it. Um, but I'd like uh, to take this time to address the buenos <laughs> personally. Okay, go. go. What, and, what do you and, got for him? <laughs> please, I've said it before. Send the tapes off to Send some sort tapes. of library or something, okay? Do they belong Finish the documentary. I'll, we'll buy it. We'll watch it. Watch it. We'll love it. Do not then do that British thing of, I have a copy of Doctor Who. I'll just put it in the, you know, the cupboard for 80 years. No. And then it disappears. Yeah. Give it, give it, give it. Surely uh, whoever does the BAFTAs there has some sort of, uh, or give it to the AFI here yeah, or yeah, something. Give it, give Come it to on. a film museum or give it to Ghost Corps or somebody. Yeah. It's, I, I, it's bad filmmaking to include everything. It's bad history to not keep everything and put it someplace where we can find it later. Oh, Come yeah. on. And, and going back to what we were talking about at the top of the show, like they've been shooting for eight years or whatever it has been now. They have yeah. so much footage and they're trying to whittle it down to a 90 <laughs> minute cut. So there's obviously yeah. hours and hours and hours of stuff that's not going to make it into the movie. And so uh, 40 minutes, 45 minutes of it is me and I'm not making the cut. So maybe this is all a, a ruse. <laughs> That you, I want to be immortalized. I was going to say, you want to be in the AFI Museum. <laughs> I absolutely do. <laughs> the this Margaret the Herrick way. Library at Ampus is going to have the Chris Stewart section. <laughs> it'll, be know, Paul, can, it'll be Paul Ovitz and Chris Stewart. And, uh, I can work yeah. hard and write a script, <laughs> but I'm lazy. So, you know, just put that videotape in there, please. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, do it. Do it, guys. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> it's so either just, that, it's either that, or, or commit the crime of the century. Like, steal from like Harry go to Chicago. Restaurant. That's right. Go to Chicago and steal a script. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway, Steve Johnson. <laughs> We're doing good about bringing it back around, I think. Uh, so the We Got This Covered uh, blog, go check out the full interview. It's it's one of those where it's like nine pages long, uh, so you get a whole lot of, of, of great substance. But in the Ghostbusters front, he does talk about Slimer, uh, the concept, and how Slimer came to be. He gives credit to Michael Gross. He gives credit to Dan and Harold and Richard Edlund and um, <laughs> and, and, of course, in his frankness, he says, uh, we had to, it had to be able to fly. We had no idea what to do with it, but we figured it all out after the fact. So after they shot everything, that's when they put it all together. Uh, so speaking of making the movie in post, they were doing it back in 1983. <laughs> um, so check out that that article. Uh, we're, we're running long. I want to give us plenty of time for crossing over, so I, we won't go too much deeper into it. But uh, <coughs> it's it's good. He talks about all of his films, Fright Night, uh, the, all of the creature design stuff that he's worked on, the current state of creature design. It's it's a great great article. Uh, good good post. Chris, you put that up uh, 
onto the Proton Charging Facebook. So you can check it out there. Um, all right, two two more news items here. One of which has some more audio to uh, to play. Uh, Jimmy Fallon had Jack White on as a guest on the Tonight Show, and I don't know why or how. I think it's Jimmy Fallon because we know Jimmy Fallon is a, a fellow fan. But uh, they do yep. get talking about Ghostbusters, and uh, they're talking about how when a move when a song would come a movie when a song would come on the radio, you would always miss like the first couple seconds of it, uh, either because the DJ was talking or because you were running from another room to hit record on your tape deck. Um, and, and Fallon mentions Ghostbusters. And so I'll, I'll let this play out here and then uh, we'll come back. Here's, here's uh, Jack White on the Tonight Show. Boombox next to the yeah. Forest Court Court and listen to all like the mid-80s hip-hop stuff. But it was always the kids had waited for it to come on the radio. So we missed always the first five seconds of the song. Yeah, it was always it was, like, it was that you had to <laughs> run. <laughs> you're in the bathroom and you run in and press record. I remember know. it took me, I think, like two days to get Ghostbusters. <laughs> so I was like, they, they got to play it. They got to play it. And I was so into Ghostbusters. Do you remember the fake phone number the Ghostbusters had on TV? Do you remember this moment? Well, yeah, they put I... a commercial out and said, talk to the Ghostbusters and call them. And they put out some fake phone number. And I got all these kids riled up, and it was a big ruse. Yeah. I have to look into this. Maybe I, you can, I, you can I edit this part them. out. I don't know. I, just I, reminded me I of think that. I remember calling that number. Like, yeah, I think that was a big deal. Did you ever call into radio stations or any of that stuff? We did. We used to do, uh, my brother and I used to play tr- tr- tricks on each other. And I, he had me going for a whole week that he had won tickets to see the Thompson Twins. <laughs> I, don't I, why, that was I don't his... know why he was trying to impress me with that. But... <laughs> Yeah, got but I definitely went to school and told my friends. My brother got tickets to the Thompson Twins. We did something. All right, so uh, Chris, if we were astute, amazing, awesome Ghostbusters fans, right here is where we would play the audio from the 800 number for everybody to hear to prove its existence. Uh, neither you or I seem to have it. I, I, I remember the 800 number. I do remember that they solicited that you could call the Ghostbusters. And it was that pre-recorded message of some sort, probably from Dan Aykroyd. But I don't. I, I thought I had it, and all I have are the radio ads that uh, you know that have Edie McClurg and a couple other people in them. Um, I yeah, no, I've never, ever, ever, ever heard it. Somebody has to have recorded it, or or again, going back to it belongs in a museum. Somebody has to have like that tape that played. When you yeah, called the 800 but after number. all this time, it's never shown up on YouTube. Um, and usually that stuff, if it shows up one place, it then starts bouncing around, right? right? Like, it's, um, I mean, it's it's pretty well documented that it existed, both because uh, people who, you know, lived in the New York area, like uh, Jack White and Jimmy Fallon and all that, they remember. Yeah, it was, the, it was part of the, the TV spots, part of the commercials. Yeah. Um, and... And, and I, I have heard descriptions of it because you would call yep. and it would be like the voicemail uh, response, uh, you know. Yeah, or, uh, Aykroyd has mentioned it. Ramus has mentioned it. Reitman has mentioned it. Yeah, um, uh, Ray Parker Jr., who we're going to talk about in a second here, he mentioned it uh, yeah. a couple times where he's like, oh, and then we had this whole who are you going to call thing that had an 800 number and you could actually call the Ghostbusters. And So uh, we, yeah. Yeah, we, we know it exists. It's just nobody's heard it. Hmm. All right, well, we're putting it out to you guys. This is an APB all of our collectors, Derek Osborne, I am looking at you because I know that you listen to the show and I know you have everything. Do you have it? Who has this 800 number audio? Because that would be a whole lot of fun for everybody to hear. Uh, the the radio spots, we only have them because for a period of time, and it's now long gone, I, this was many, many, many years ago, there was a website that still had clips of old 80s, the California movie 
right uh, movie phone movie that you phone. can call in and, yeah. and they ran they ran some of the the TV spots uh, the sorry the radio spots that they cuz not only would you call and get your movie times you could hear little radio spots um, for promoting movies right, right right and they had these clips up I, i'm pretty sure that we what we're handing around started as a real audio file that i somewhere along the line transposed but uh, i think yeah because i think i got the radio spots from you uh, 20 years ago at this point yeah but uh but the, but this just shows how everybody's like oh end up on the internet it's like yeah and then it may evaporate uh, immediately too, and then it's gone that yeah. site was there but whoever was running it I'm, I mean, there comes a point where somebody goes, why am I maintaining this site to <laughs> when people used to call in on a phone line to find out what the movie times were when nobody cares anymore? Yeah, and exactly. It just, it passes away, right? Although so. there are those like archive.org, you know, they do put up, I love going back. They have KRK Rock, uh, you know, broadcast from 1983. There's a wonderful one from New Year's Day of 1983 that K Rock was playing all these awesome, like, new wave alternative uh, songs. And it's such a great playlist. But, um, and with the commercials to boot, um, but no Ghostbusters in there, obviously. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, I mean, Jack White is not wrong. The, the 800 number did exist, and uh, we're going <laughs> to prove that audio exists, and we'll send it to Jack White. Not that Jack White cares, but that tape, that that thing about the taping made me laugh so hard because I, <laughs> I don't know, because now everything is just impulse based. You hear right. it, like you hear it on the radio. You ask your phone, what's that song? What is that? And it goes, it's this song. Would you like to buy it from one of these 10 places? Uh, and well, then, thank you. Yeah. And then you don't even have to buy it, of course, because one of them is iTunes. And iTunes, if you're paying for the, the, the streaming Music. subscription, yeah. you just listen to it. Sort right. of thing. Meanwhile, yeah, when we were kids, there was a lot of either 90-minute cassettes that you would throw on for a top 40 like a countdown show yeah, on the you weekend, you try or to get it because you knew that it was going to be at least in the top five. So Somewhere you'd be sitting there. there with your your finger hovering over the record button. Yeah. yeah, or or you just record the whole thing and then start like dubbing back and <laughs> forth between like you build your mixtape off of what you liked and all or, that. Yeah, and how many mixtapes did you have songs that started and ended with that tape like at the end or the or, beginning? You know, yeah. or. Uh, <laughs> You you come in, you know, Ray Junior. Ghostbusters. You like, stop talking. I, it's the beginning of the stop talking. The best part of the song. Or if you got really creative, some of us tried to Frankenstein them together, which was oh, yeah. really. It'd be that oh, skip beat in the middle, and there'd be a different fidelity between the radio stations with a little bit of oh, fuzz, and yeah. But that was still better <laughs> than having the dumb DJ talk over it. So yeah, absolutely. Dumb DJs, so, stupid DJs. Mm. Um, well, that's that's good segue to our last news item here. Uh, Ray Parker Jr. We talked about him uh, last last week and the week before. His his podcast is out and cranking. They're three episodes deep, um, and at the time of this recording, it is not live. But I know it's on the horizon because he tweeted a photo of it. Again, his social media is killing it. I'm so proud of him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Ernie Hudson is going to be one of the guests on the Ray Parker Jr. show. Uh, and they have not taken our suggestion to call it Ray Parker O Radio. Uh, unfortunately, I, that that got ignored. Yeah, so I think they're pretty locked in at this. They're point. locked in, but uh, so keep keep an eye for that. That should be a fun <laughs> one. We'll we'll report back after that episode airs because it will be of special interest to us, obviously. And uh, and yeah, it's it's fun to have Ray Parker Jr. here on the airwaves as a neighbor. So check check out Ray Parker Jr. show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify.
And so, Chris Stewart, we have come to the segment of the show where we will talk about IDW crossing over number two, yeah. full of spoilers. You, you yeah. hear the music playing underneath us right now. That means that Run. if you are trying to avoid spoilers, you have been Run. sufficiently warned at this point. Um, but that's okay because not that much spoilerific happens in issue number two. No, I mean, there there are some fun surprises that we're going to talk about here. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not. This is sort of the um, the transitionary the uh, the the segue of us trying to connect two news articles together on the podcast uh, issue, um, which is of interest because Eric Burnham on Twitter today was talking about how he has. Uh, sort of deliberately paced out these issues for the trade paperback. So he knows that a lot of people are going to be reading this in collected form. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that issue two comes out and uh, for all of the complaints that we have for IDW series always going too fast, this issue was kind of a slow burn. It was kind of, and it was nice. I'm not complaining. It was really great to have this kind of a slow character development uh, issue. But at the same time, I was re- I was ready I was ready for all of those teams to pop out of a portal and let's see some action uh, and, and that doesn't happen until the last page of, of the issue but uh, so I don't know Chris what uh, maybe let's talk our just general thoughts of the issue first and then we can kind of dive into specifics here but uh, issue two how how are you feeling about the uh, series so far Oh I love it um, it gives some amazing context to um why uh, Holtzman did what she did. Yes, yeah. I mean, she, she's very chaotic, but it seems really, really strange to get, like, this chaotic sort of thing. And they, they, they what what Burnham did here was tap into that, the last, um, uh, uh, that last get together in the movie around right. the, the table right. at the bar is basically uh, what and, it is. And paraphrasing that speech sort of uh, yeah. beat for beat, really, you know, this is yeah. part of who Holtzman's character is, which I, you're, you're right. I, I glommed onto that immediately. That was a great moment in the, in the issue. I really like that. Um, I really like that they move for this idea of, um, uh, how do I, how do I put this? I'm starting to appreciate between the second issue, the trading cards, and the uh, the peacock uh, reports at the end. Yes, that, yeah. That this is not just trying to. Uh, this is not sloppily tying up loose ends by creating a multiverse. This is actually Burnham trying to explain a lot of inconsistencies throughout the franchise's life oh, yeah. by doing this multiverse thing. So um, they move forward this idea that if there's a multiverse, some of the multiverse may be entities that are PKE entities, and they may be harmless, but they'll have predators, and you guys are bumping into the predators, right. and the predators can move around. And yeah, you I loved that. that. Yeah. And it explains this idea of why some of them are human and some of them are creature, and... Um, also drives forward this idea that some of them may be these vaguely godlike helper people too. Like the so there's a there's an uh, an allusion back to Ray's uh, uh, blues brother 
right. uh, character. Who shows up as Dana Barrett. Dana and then in Bo- one panel is kind of a weird amalgamation of, of yes, uh, Belushi of and Dana Barrett. But, but, that, but, the, but the entity specifically says a couple of things that makes it clear that it's not the same entity. Right. It's yeah. like and, and serves a similar purpose. Like it shows up to go, we kind of like you guys, so we're here for a warning, try not to die sort of thing. And, but but um, may have ulterior motives too because there's that whole, like Jenny says, yeah. uh, you know, it, it seems like this is all too convenient. And even yeah. and Peter catches on like, you're trying to con me into something, aren't you? Um, yep. So, um, yeah. I think, I think Jenny's uh, astral form costume ghostbuster costume oh dude it's awesome i think i think that's going to become a cosplay favorite real quick absolutely i mean that's that's built for for cosplayers uh it's yeah and i don't recall has it always been that sort of like the the corset with the peacoat kind of thing i'm pretty sure this is relatively new like she's peacoat petticoat petticoat she's show she's shown up before in like kind of jumpsuit sort of thing but i don't recall it being because it's not it's not just a peacoat it's uh or a petticoat it's um she's got like a a, a bodice uh not a bot yeah sort yeah, of yeah but but then it's corset. also got like a yeah, it's a corset with a jacket kind of it's yeah it's, it's corset cool. over it's a jacket cool it's uniform very, yeah so it's, it's almost ma- like she so imagine, mal- yeah. she's created this uh <laughs> this is her astral projection uh, how she sees herself which is kind of cool yeah it's the, like, the whole yeah, the whole cool. matrix idea what did what did they call it the um Oh God! They had a term for it when he first goes into the Matrix. And right. It's, the uh, shoot. You were paying whatever. attention to the girl in the yeah. red, weren't you? Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, well, not even just that. Like in the in the the bit, they he shows up and he's like, "Well, you can look like whatever you want. Like this is your yeah. oh residual self image. That's what there, it is. yeah. There we go. He shows up and it's like his residual self image, but you can look like whatever you want. Well, she's moved past her residual self image and has moved into depending on where she's at. Like, because when she's out in the world, she and interacting with Janine, she's wearing more uh, casual, um, <laughs> regular clothes. But in his subconscious, she's now dressed up in in this not just a uniform, but she's got her own uniform. Yeah, it's like a stylized kind of look, which yeah. is cool. Um, but you're right when she shows up. I think they're in a hospital, right? And she's wearing like an '80s like uh, sweat band over her forehead. And, yeah, and the sweater see, hanging over the, the shoulders. And yeah, yeah, yeah. She's wearing like all blue, and she's got this like headband on, and it's very <laughs> sort of like hipster. Uh, like Soho uh, looking uh, design. Yeah. But um, um, I went looking for, this is a very uh, Easter egg light issue. Uh, I only found the one, which was the, uh, the ambulance trolley that they load into the bed that holds the rack that holds the, the, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's in, it's in the background in the, in the basement there. It's just, it was a nice, a nice touch. Uh, well, there's, it, I mean, there's Pequod's coffee, which is always, uh, yeah. There's a point where it stops being, uh, Fox had a, a thing on, uh, on, what was it? Uh, what was it? Uh, they had a hierarchy. There was callbacks. Oh, that's what it was. Callbacks running jokes and Easter eggs and a callback is that them. Yeah, yeah if you watch regularly uh, you'll go aha that's a callback to that other one if the joke then continues over and over 
fans will recognize it as a running joke, and then uh, an Easter egg is something that only the hardcores will will recognize. Right. Uh, so Pequot has kind of it's now at the running joke phase. That's a it's, running joke. That's yeah. a running joke. So what what would you qualify Ron in every panel showing up in a different Chevy Chase costume as? <sighs> Because That's, at one point he's wearing like the red uh, like polo shirt with the short sleeves uh, from yeah. Caddyshack and the yes that's my real name from uh, SNL and uh, that's a uh, that's an Easter egg that's, that's an Easter egg okay an Easter egg. Right. when that's he not does a running joke that. no no that's right. well actually interesting that actually if we if we visualize them as uh, Venn circles. That's that's a running gag that is also an Easter egg because we know <laughs> he's both. doing it over and over and over <laughs> again, and we know specifically what it is. But unless you're a hardcore fan, you may not you don't, automatically yeah. recognize it as such. So, okay, that that makes sense. Yeah. There you go. Good um, work, Dan. Good work, good work, Dan. Yes. Well, and and Dan does deserve some some supreme kudos because of that final panel, final page, <sighs> uh, as discussed. Are you, are you ready? Are you ready? I'm, I don't want to interrupt you. I want to let you. I, I'm gonna let you finish. I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> I so, did a count. It's forty Ghostbusters. Forty Ghostbusters, and, and I not have counting, a question for you. As not to counting who some the Slimers. Not counting. It's three Slimers and forty Ghostbusters. Three Slimers, forty Ghostbusters, and multiple yeah. teams. So okay, so that last panel. Uh, yep. This is the so the the conceit of the issue is that when the explosion occurred that put Vankman in the hospital that yep. was completely improbable that all of these things would be happening at the same time uh, a certain amount of PKE was released from the containment unit that has to be shoved back into it otherwise there's going to be a total meltdown and we've seen what happens when the containment unit blows up right so right. Uh, Egon has called forth as many of the Ghostbusters teams as he can muster from all of the multiverse uh, to help them contain all of the ghosts and bring them back into the containment unit as quickly as possible. And that last splash page, well, it's not even a splash page. It's a, it's a single page. Um, but you're right. 40 Ghostbusters. And so <clears throat> it is oh magnificent. I, I mean, I don't even know. So we have the, uh, the Slimer and the real Ghostbusters, uh, the real Ghostbusters. You've, you've never given us posters. We've asked time and time I, again, but yes. for the love of God, this one, this, this one, one needs to be a poster. The, the only thing about this not being like, I want the IDW crew that's in the foreground to turn around just for yeah. the, for the, for the placement of the photo, for the uh, composition of the photo. Exactly. Dan will um, do it. Yeah, because again, we're talking about Jenny's awesome costume. We're seeing the back of it. Uh, right. Egon and everybody, the back of it. But yes, but that's that's our big. That's the cover art. That's what we I'm want. Look, is a I'm big looking print. at I'm looking at the picture here. So do you want to? Okay. So let's go. Let's go top left. Yeah. Uh, starting in that back row from left to right. So that's the Slimer and the real Ghostbusters with Robo Buster, right? And. Kevin and Kevin, our Kevin, yeah, our Kevin, Michael Tanaka, Michael Kevin. holding holding a box, which good, <laughs> Kevin good, Tanaka. For, good for Kevin Tanaka to to make it into this. Spread. For the love of God, put that box down. <laughs> it's like that John Mulaney joke about watching uh, uh, um, the. Uh, Law and Order episodes. After a while, there's always the guy they're interviewing who cannot. Somebody's been murdered, and the cops are there, but he cannot stop He's moving still boxes. Holding the boxes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, but so and then okay, so moving from left to right. So in the center from those guys, yeah, is that the 88 miles per hour Ghostbusters? Who are those guys? 
Uh, it's either that or or pre uh, shoning. Pre shoning. Okay, so this is like the Steve. Um, I'm pretty sure it's the pre the pre shoning. I don't think it's eighty. Uh, displaced aggression. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So that's that's sort of that's tying in the early years of IDW. Uh, then the Gollum Mike who showed up uh, in the last issue. Uh, <laughs> Who we've gotten some great backstory from the uh, trading cards. If you have not been keeping up with your Ghost Heads United, That's right. uh, then we've got the Ghostbusters the video game for the Wii, the Wii and the PlayStation, and the PlayStation the, so the, Two Ghostbusters, the cartoonified version. Yes, yeah, and then Kevin poking his head in, uh, holding Mike Hat photo. So Mike Hat yeah. makes it into this uh, spread. Uh, and then going over back to the left, we've got the Sanctum of Slime Ghostbusters. Correct. Uh, then the Extreme Ghostbusters Dead Center. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we have the new Ghostbusters, Melanie Ortiz, the Rookie, yeah. Ron, those guys, and they're sort yeah. of like dark uh, navy blue uniforms. Uh, going back, we have the real Ghostbusters, uh-huh. um, including real Ghostbusters, Slimer. And then in the center, we have... 8-bit Ghostbusters? This is yeah, something that, have... that Eric teased on Facebook, so I'm trying to figure out what the, the secret behind these guys is. Well, this is this is from the Game Boy game. Oh, it's the Game Boy Ghostbusters. Yeah, I th- think it's Ghostbusters 2, to be honest. Oh, that okay, that thing. would make sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're they're adorable. You have, yeah, you have the little sprightly Ghostbusters, uh, literally. And it's, it's a real Eric Burnham going... Just when you think I got a handle on it, I'm getting weird again. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost as if he put the pop vinyls in there, and you're like, "What the hell? What the hell?" Yeah. Well, because um, at the back, the Peacock uh, report uh, covers the real Ghostbusters because they right. were the first Ghostbusters right. team that they ran into from the multiverse, and the notes of it break it down that the physics of their universe light disperses differently. Like oh, photons I didn't catch on to that. act yeah, differently okay. in their universe than they yeah. do in ours. So he says, as a result, everything is like flatter color wise and more vibrant. Even at night, things are more, and he said, gives it a more cartoony look. Um, oh, that's right. Because it did call out that all of the ghosts were more whimsical. I remember that. Whimsical. That it was like, than, yeah, yeah, exactly. The ghosts are of a different variety. Yeah. And this goes back to what I was saying because they also note that, like, God, they must have did a lot of talking because the report includes things like uh, there are similarities uh, but some differences some of them are like their Egon is blonde and they said but they use it like it was very interesting that this is the bit where he starts going but there are differences for example their Janine does not have a niece whereas ours right family members are different family members are different Uh, Winston joined an entirely different uh, part of the armed forces and gained entirely different experiences from it sort of thing and uh, even and he said and even uh their their personality traits are similar, but uh, Venkman noticed. This is the funny part because he's throwing Venkman a bone. Venkman is a doctor of psychology. Don't get me wrong. I know he scammed his way through it, but you can't not come out the other end with at least <laughs> a couple of something. tricks up your. Yeah. yeah, he's got. <laughs> and as a con man, at, at, you know it means you know a guy who 
likes to read people like a Connie. He's not a total con man, but you know yeah. what I mean. Like he, so yeah, to be able to read people is kind of probably why he picks psychology because he probably had a natural affinity for it. And he was in Burnham's notes. He's the one who noticed that uh, him and the other Venkman are similar, but uh, the other one is. Um, more upbeat and not as you know like he just he noticed that they were uh uh he didn't say dark but you know, that my point being that the, yeah, yeah they cynicism were, is different the, the cynicism is, di- yeah, is different exactly yeah, yeah. so uh, just fantastic Absolutely yeah fantastic. i mean it's and and then so so rounding it all out we do have the answer to call oh, ghostbusters sorry. yeah but, of course yeah but so i guess maybe our 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 uh punctuation here on the the conversation who's missing like I'm trying to mentally go back to that. Remember in the issue way back when in yeah they had mass hysteria where there was the the pool of all of the different uh, multiverses. Yeah. Who who's missing from that? <laughs> well, there's the Ghostbusters from another company who shall not be mentioned who were excised from the trade right. paperback. They disappeared for the collected version. Obviously, right. they're never coming back. Um, there was the storyboard universe, so the ones with the oh, helmets right. and with the, the helmets and the visors, the wrist shooters. Yeah, yeah, that's that's um, interesting that they're missing. Uh, but remember, that was just them walking. They the the trick is is that they were seeing that there was a multiverse, but that's not the same as, and the coordinates were written down underneath. Do you know what I mean? Right. And that was us seeing, because it's like the hellhound is walking through, seeing those through pools. It, yeah. So, so the, the prime ghostbusters have never yeah. seen all of those multiverses. So what we have here is, uh, okay. So it's our, the base comic team, the new kids, Okay, so they're all here. The ATC, okay, so they bumped into the real Ghostbusters by accident, and same goes for Answer the Call. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. All of our 101 friends have kind of disappeared, huh? Uh, well, it's not like the turtles were going to show up. No, um, but like um, uh, Kate and uh, I'm, I'm blanking on all of their names. Uh, was it Kate and Zoe? Who are the two yeah. sort of recruits that that screwed up and opened up the portal? Yeah, the kids aren't here. Um, yeah. But remember, well, at the same time, not only are the kids not here, there's a lot of paid trainees that are not there either. Oh, right, that's that true. Doing the, yeah. So that one kind of got set on a back burner. I mean, it's not that that's not there. It's just they're probably let's put it this way if you're like uh we need people to run out into the multiverse and retrieve ghosts you're probably not going to send the new kids <laughs> on that one it's a good point yeah you need to be efficient about it so yeah that makes sense. okay <laughs> the turtles uh you know not coming back yeah that makes sense too um they didn't bring in the funko ones probably again for licensing reasons but uh there's not too many immediately noticeable people that are gone. Like we're, there's not somebody that we're like, Oh, how could they have forgotten blank? Uh, I mean, if, if anything, sort of a movie likeness version of the characters is sort of what's, what's most noticeably missing, but what this is, that's a place that they've got really blurred because remember in one Oh one where, uh, the ATC crew, there's that bit at the end where the, the, 
the universes overlap. Right. They have that spreadsheet. Right. Spreadsheet. God, have I been out of the office (laughs) for a while? Um, You're dreaming of spreadsheets. Yeah, they have the page where the experiences from the two movies are merged together, so characters are switched between them. And they reference Vigo and the subway and all that. So there's a very strong suggestion that our base comic ones are the closest we'll ever get to the movie guys because they're supposed to essentially be the movie the guys. movie yeah yeah um yeah that's a good point let me let me pull up my 101 issues here and just see if is there anybody on 101 that was missing you're right i don't really because the same thing with 101 it's it's mainly the new recruits that because Melanie Ortiz is there, and the Answer the Call guys are there, yeah. and actually, yeah, and a lot of the, the <laughs> let's be fair here, a lot of the the new re- like the trainees and all that, they're uh, they're fans. <laughs> like the Dan, yeah. the Dan used it as an opportunity to draw in a lot of fans. So um, yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, not, okay, so not... here's that last page on 101. Oh, you're right. It's okay. That was when they put like the Answer the Call. And the IDW guys intermixing in the movies. Okay, so that's yeah. that's not what I thought it was. But um, no. yeah, it's. I feel like it's it's such a great moment. I can't wait to see where number three takes things. How are they are they gonna do kind of like uh, uh, like we've seen in previous issues where we get to follow one team for a couple of pages, then another team for another couple of pages. Uh, you know, s- sort of as we saw in uh, in the annual. It was the annual, right? Which was the one that had all of the different art styles in it? That was. Oh boy. That was the annual. I'm one pretty of the sure. Earlier annual. annuals. Oh, see, that's a good point. Now, because you, I don't remember. I don't have them on hand, but. There's been B stories early in the series run and in the annuals. That's where we first ran into like uh, Eduardo and all that again. Right. So right. The question there is who, um, pop, 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 who, uh, who we may have seen in the B stories that may or not. I think that's got to be most everybody, though, to be honest. Yeah. Like what were, that's 40. Like I said, I did a head count. That's 40 Ghostbusters, and most of them are outside of the, the main comic line. That's a lot, right? Like, other than I mean, the, it's a ton. Yeah, it's a ton. Other than the Turtles and the... Because, the, yeah, they were little nods in the um, um, in the early on with the, the Hellhound and all that. I think either they overlap because the Sanctum of Slime guys were in that one, and they're here now. Um, right. Uh, who else? I think the 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 eight bit guys were in that thing too, and they're here. I think other than the ones that are problematic, like the filmation ones, most yeah. everybody's been dragged. Most everybody's into this. sort of represented here, but and um, more because we have like the the Gollum and stuff like that that hasn't been. <laughs> that, yeah, that have their own <clears throat> new sort of uh, fledgling. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's 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 on the run too. But uh, <coughs> well, so me. yeah. So anyway, so uh, go go pick up issue number two. Uh, it is a worthy follow up to issue number one, which is a whole lot of fun. And and as I mentioned, yeah. there's a lot of great character development in there. There's some tension between Winston and Ron. There's uh, Janine sort of struggling with uh, the revelation that happened in the last issue that uh, Peck wants to give her Jenny's old job, and she's wondering if she wants that extra responsibility. Um, a, a whole lot of great stuff is happening in, in this issue. And, uh, 
and and as Eric said, he is pacing it for the full read from start to finish. So uh, if you have a chance, read issue one and then go straight <laughs> into issue two, and you'll get that momentum building up to it. But it's it's a fun read. It's uh, again we're spoiled. I, I say it every single time we talk about IDW's books, but uh, you know the the team that is doing this book is is wonderful and knocking it out of the park. And then when you read the Answer the Call books, you go, oh my god, I have this other multiverse that I can follow and. It's it's just fun. I just hope that these books succeed so that we get more and more and more and they can continue. Let's get a whole book that is nothing but Universe 68R. Just nothing but real Ghostbusters. Uh, I bet it could happen. So check check it out. Pick it up. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about future issues as they come out. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. I'm sorry. We'll do it again. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail on our calling line at 470-242-4742. That's 4702-GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page and Twitter accounts. Print is dead. No kidding. Just give me the address. Search Facebook for Ghostbusters. Interdimensional crossword. On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. I just want to get back close again. What the hell are you doing? If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. Chris, I did my best. I did my best to keep us lean and mean, but uh, we are running a little long. But uh, it was it was fun. We had some good discussion in there about uh, a few topics, including the Ghostbusters crossing over series. Uh, what what do you got in terms of uh, final thoughts for this this episode here? Um, <laughs> final thought of the day is I I'm trying to find more information about this, but uh, somebody uh, tweeted uh, and included me and went. Uh, uh, was it me or was I just doing a Ghostbusters search on Twitter? I can't remember, but anybody, somebody did. Uh, did you know there was two novels for um, for Ghostbusters? And they had, uh, you know, the two the Milne and the you know the other one that were t- uh, Milne oh, being right. the one that yeah, I reviewed. Yeah, that's right. That was a tweet that was very coincidentally right after we had talked about uh, your experiences with the UK version or the Canadian version. Uh, well, this this one yeah. was in the last week. Somebody went, did you know there was two? And I was about to make some crack about, don't read the Larry Milne one. <laughs> and then somebody in the follow-up said, Larry Milne is a uh, pseudonym for uh, Trevor Hoyle. Oh, no. Who's Trevor He's, Hoyle? Uh, well, that's just it. He's written a whole bunch of stuff. Let's see. Oh, my uh, God. Oh, oh no. Q, Q, the winged serpent. The thing that got that, it got turned into the that movie with... Uh, right. Uh, he oh wrote that. Um, what else did he uh, write here? Let's see. Uh, yeah, he did a Q series. Um, yeah, hang on a sec here. This is, again, just... This is just sloppy me, but I got a cold. I'm just gonna use it as an excuse. <laughs> that, so it, I feel bad for so me. So why would he? Why would he write that under a different pen name? I don't. I guess because it was just quick, dirty money thing. Let's I see guess. here. And that he's a British guy. Makes sense. Writing. Yeah. Yeah. God. Uh, wrote the Q series. Uh, 
Uh, oh, actually, maybe it's not Q the Winged Serpent. It was just called Q. But it's a popular series, and I have never read it. Did a number of Blake Sevens novels. Also writes is Larry Milne and Joseph Rance. And I think I remember the name Joseph, Joseph Rance, Joseph Rance, that's familiar. Yeah. Uh, Q series. Chris Quaken is an anthropologist on Earth. <laughs> uh, what is that? Four? A colonial oh, offshoot of God. Earth billions of years from the present day. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, let's see here. He's got 20 plus books. Because once you, like, that, I was confused how, remember we talked about this at the time, you plug in Larry Milne, it's Ghostbusters and Biggles. And I'm like, who gets the Ghostbusters nod after having written just two other books, like, right? Yeah, like nothing. Um, That's funny. The Blake Seven. Uh, yeah, he did a lot of Q stuff. So um, what? Wait, what was his real name? What was his, the Trevor? Trevor Hoyle. Trevor Hoyle. Okay, so here's the question: Do you think Trevor Hoyle writes this novelization, realizes that he just kind of phoned it in, and then he does the equivalent of an Alan Smithy, and he's like, ah, just put this name on it. I don't care. I don't want the that. That would definitely for it. put a or. I mean, it's kind of a chicken and an egg. Or did he take the job, know completely that he was going to mail it in, and just knew ahead of time he was going to put it under uh, Larry Milne? Had the pseudonym, and oh my god! Uh, but he's written things like uh, there was a he was an editor on a uh, no he contributed to a series on a book called Lemistry, celebration of the work of Stanislaw Lem. Ooh, boy! Wow. Uh, the Q series. One called the Sexless Spy. Okay. <laughs> that sounds close to what you were describing <laughs> from that novelization, so that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, Haunted Hospital. Oh I'm my particularly God. intrigued by the one called The Man Who Traveled on Motorways. Because I think it's I think it's about me. <laughs> it's, or you. It's it's about us or just everybody. driving cross country. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God. Um This both this answers so many questions, but Asks so many newers. Yeah. Unbelievable. But, uh, right. I mean, he's not a prolific author. Um, I go to his Goodreads and he's got way more listings now. But um, yeah, just kind of a book huh. every once in a while. He's, it seems to be his, the Q series seems to be his big thing. Uh, and then, of course, Blake Seven has its own kind of following. Right. So. right. But uh, uh, don't read the don't read the Milne novelization. I mean, unless you unless you're feeling like reading a train wreck, if you it's like watching a bad movie. If you're in the mood to watch Batman and Robin, by all means, go watch Batman and Robin. But, uh, uh, wow! Through the Eye of Time, the second in the Q series, has Hitler on the cover. So you know, <laughs> good start there. Uh, uh, a group of scientists on the planet Earth Four are attempting to duplicate the human brain, like you do, and like they've do. chosen and they've chosen that of Adolf Hitler as their prototype. All right, hold on. I, I feel like Eugene uh, Merman's podcast. Okay, <laughs> hold on a second. I have questions. <laughs> Damn um, it! I will kill everybody. Uh, wow. Uh, while investigating hmm. the research, uh, Christian Quahan scientist and myth technologist unveils an alternate universe in which I'm Germany sorry, and not the a United what? States a yeah, myth, technologist? myth technologist okay alright uh, in which Germany and not the United States developed the first atomic bomb uh, also known as the man in the high castle but you know <laughs> um, uh, well, 
Oh, Larry slash Trevor. Will you ever see? Um, but yeah, mystery solved. I, I mean, uh, it's not a. Yeah. Boy, I I, I, I don't know that the, the mystery is solved. I think that the mystery is this is like uh, Robert Stack <laughs> needs to come out and help us with this one here. Uh, I I kind of like them to leave us kind of wheel- feeling warm and fuzzy, and this one is just kind of <laughs> what? Well, um, hmm. all is right. It, well, hmm, what? Uh, interesting, interesting conundrum that I'm sure we will explore in future episodes here. Uh, no, but I in think the meantime, I may put it to bed. Yeah, let's let's never <laughs> speak of Milne's novelization again. Uh, yeah, but in the meantime, if you guys know of, have, or have heard the 800 number audio, the offer still stands, please call the voicemail, let us know, or send yes. us the file if you have it, because we want to play it here on the air so everybody can hear it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, hope hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a whole lot easier. Uh, Chris is still a little under the weather, but uh, we, we had a little bit more energy in this one. So uh, appreciate you guys. Being patient with us in that last episode where we were both nasally and it was like a quick short, oh god, let's just end this episode. <laughs> oh, I just want to crawl into bed and sleep. So, I'm a, uh, yeah, I'm a chatty Cathy at the best of times. This this never really slows me down. I think I literally have to be in pain or imminent danger <laughs> to On stop the verge talking. of unconsciousness to, yeah. Yeah. And it works out well for podcasting, so that's, that's okay. But, uh, alright everybody, uh, until next week, We'll be back. Same ghost time, same ghost place here on the crossroad. See you on the other side. Who you gonna call? We got her! Thanks for joining the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad. Visit us at protoncharging.com, ghostbustershq.net, and stillplayingwithtoys.net. Hey, you're gonna be one of my two favorite shows. You're kidding me. Oh, great. What was the other one? Bassmasters. It's a fishing show. Everything you're doing is bad. You truly scare me. I want you to love it. Next week, though, Careless Pets. Weird.